Grab your trowel and a cup of coffee. You're listening to Archeo Cafe. I'm your host, Otis Crandell. Welcome to another episode of Archeo Cafe. I'm Otis, and today I'm talking with Ekta Singh from HNB Garhwal University in Uttarakhand, India. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to have you with us today. I'm curious, when did you first think that you wanted to be an archaeologist and why? Okay, Uh, so uh, the story goes back to when I was in uh, school and class 11 uh, in Dehradun. And uh, so uh, what happened was I was studying history in school and one of the archaeologists came for an interactive session to, uh, you know, tell us about archaeology and what it is all about and everything. So I got so much interested into that that I was like, wow, this is a great profession to join in. But then uh, later, I, uh, you know, for my graduation, I joined uh, that uh, history honors. I I pursued history honors. And later, I did my master's in ancient Indian history. So during that time, like while in my graduation, this archaeological thing was, you know, a little, what do you say, suppressed. I was in different mode and, you know, working on different other things. And, you know, because in life, you know, so many things came and you you get interested in so many other things. But while uh, pursuing my master's and I, because I chosen ancient Indian history, which also have paper from archaeology, like Indian archaeology, it's about the history and then uh, methods and practices about uh, in, uh, archaeology and all this thing, which again, uh, you know, ignited my, um, uh, this, uh, you know, idea, this, uh, that, yeah, archaeology, why I'm, you know, not pursuing it, it's, it's so interesting, and, you know, then it, you know, also uh, kind of reminded me that back in class 11, I had this idea of becoming an archaeologist, and why I have dropped it, and all that, so then again, I started, you know, uh, studying it more, you know, taking it more seriously and, you know, studying papers on archaeology and everything. And then at that moment, I decided, no, I want to go in research area and I want to pursue archaeology. Hmm. And then, uh, you know, while reading and going through various uh, papers, and then I was trying to, you know, uh, like, uh, how do you say, uh, just separate, just separating what, what, uh, interest me more and what kind of field I want to join. So at that moment, I realized that Himalayan archaeology is something which I really want to do because I belong from a Himalayan state, Uttarakhand. So it will be a great uh, thing to, you know, to contribute something to my to my native region, like the Himalayas, where I belong. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, I thought, and then I, you know, kind of, you know, surf, surveyed which universities are working on Himalayan archaeology and everything. And then I came to know about HNB Garhwal University, who have done a lot of research on uh, uh, Uttarakhand region and Himachal region. Uh, Both of these states are Himalayan states. And uh, so I, you know, came in contact with one of the professor, Professor P.M. Sikhani. Unfortunately, he's no more with us. And so I met him and, uh, you know, uh, asked him, how can I join him and, uh, you know, and pursue Himalayan archaeology. So at that moment, it, uh, I'm talking about like in back in 2014, all this, this conversation with uh, Professor Saklani. He, so he offered me this opportunity to join him in Kinnor region in Himachal Pradesh to uh, come along with him and with his team 
foreign excavation of burials which is happening in that area in that season. So I was like, oh my God, this is a great opportunity. How, how can I miss it? Because in masters also, we didn't have that opportunity of excavations and, all, and like much of field work. So I thought it's like a golden chance for me and I should just like go for it. And I did. And so that was my first, uh, you know, uh, opening for Himalayan archaeology. And for that season, I'm like, it was tough for me because, uh, you know, it involves a lot of hiking and, uh, you know, a lot of physical fitness and everything. But then slowly and gradually, I learned it. And, uh, and it was great fun, you know, like that. Are there any people who particularly inspired you as an archaeologist? Uh, like to begin with, uh, it was Professor Jamal who came in class 11, who, who had this inter interactive section with us. He was the one who actually, you know, I give, you know, kind of credit to him uh, that he uh, popped that idea into my mind that, you know, yes, archaeology is something and I can join him. And he's such a nice and decent person that, and the way he, you know, told us about archaeology and all the bygone era and everything. It was like, it was kind of very inspirational. And then uh, uh, during my master's, you know, there are professors like Nanjot Lehri and Professor Takran and uh, Professor Pender Singh. They were the ones who took this uh, thing like beyond. And uh, then uh, when I joined my university, Achille Garwal University, so there are Professor Nautial and Professor Bhatt and Professor Saklani. So, they were like, you know, always motivated me and uh, and because these three were like working on Himalayan archaeology, so they kind of always inspired me to do better and they kind of became my hero mm -hmm. <laughs> that, you know, in, in such tough terrain you can do and you can go beyond your limits at work. Right. So, so there are many people who play this role. What are your main research interests now? Uh, right now, I'm uh, uh, like I'm more focused on Himalayan archaeology only. But as my uh, research area was Spiti Valley, mm -hmm. so uh, I I did my uh, master sorry PhD in that area. So uh, I want to take whatever I did in my uh, in my PhD, I want to take that further and look for more sites and you know uh, and you know because you know PhD is for a limited time period and you can not find everything in it. it it's just a part. The, of uh, of you know all the things that are all that that are there. Right. So I think uh, I'll go further with that in Spiti and in other if if uh, get an opportunity in other parts of Himalayas in Himachal and Uttarakhand and maybe beyond that. What time periods or subjects of investigation do you look at? Well, uh, for my uh, like for my PhD, I have uh, looked on pre-Buddhist era. Uh, in Spiti Valley. So it uh, it was like, uh, I have tried to collect all the evidences, like whatever I found, uh, from the earliest time till 9th century CE. Because in 10th century, uh, we have Buddhism, the presence of Buddhism in the area. So my point was, because like, there are a lot of research happening after Buddhist era. So I made this clear uh, that I want to do, uh, yeah, I want to like do research on Pre-Buddhist era, so that was my main focus points. So we have many evidences related to that. What was the earliest site that you've looked at in the Spiti Valley? Uh, it's a stone tool site that is Zamatham near Sumdo. Mm -hmm. 
it's like on the border of Kinnor and uh, Spiti and plus Tibet. So it's kind of on a on the edge of that, mm. and it's a stone tool site where we have non-geometric microliths and a kind of upper Paleolithic uh, stone tools were like discovered from. So for us, this is the like earliest site in the area. For the benefit of the listeners, could you tell us where is Spiti Valley located? So uh, Spiti Valley is uh, located in Himachal Pradesh. It's uh, administratively, it's a Lahol and Spiti district in Himachal Pradesh, which is the largest district of uh, Himachal. And, uh, but there is a division between Lahol and Spiti and, uh, administratively. Uh, and, but if you see geographically also, it is, and culturally, it is like very different from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spiti is more Buddhist era and a, you know, cold desert barren land. And Lahol is different from that. It's it's a blend of Buddhism and Hinduism and has a lot of vegetation and that kind of place. So they are different from each other, yet they are combined as Lahol and Spiti district, administratively. So that's in the northeastern part of India. Yes, northeastern part, yes, yes. It's the border of, like it's uh, uh, bounded with Ladakh from north and uh, east uh, is uh, Tibet. Then in south we have Kullu and Kinnor. So it's mm like bounded with that, the boundaries. What does the name Spiti mean? Uh, Spiti means middle land. And when I say middle land, it means a middle land between India and Tibet. Oh, okay. It's a very appropriate name then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then in local dialect, mm-hmm. they also say Spiti and Sapiti. These kind of mm-hmm. words are also used. But they're all of the same etymological origin. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's more of Tibetan etymological. Mm-hmm. So from what language does that come? The local language is Bhoti, mm-hmm. uh, that is used in Spiti, which is, uh, uh, I won't say quite similar, but it's like kind of influenced from Tibetan only. I mean, the origin is from Tibet. And that's where the name Spiti comes from. Yes, I believe that. Yeah. What is the cultural and historical significance of this region? Uh, as I said, like uh, culturally, uh, Spiti is more inclined uh, towards uh, Tibet and Kinor. Uh, like uh, if you talk about history of uh, uh, Spiti Valley, so uh, around uh, from 1200 uh, BCE to 600 CE, it was a part of uh, a Zanzung Empire, which was ruling Tibet. Mm. And at that time, uh, Kinor and Spiti was part of that uh, empire. But later, when Zanzung Empire was, you know, uh, what do you say, uh, destroyed or, you know, it, it get uh, into a Tibetan Empire, you know, Tibetan mm. Empire was take away that thing. So, uh, so it, it's like culturally and historically, it was more close to Tibet instead of the mainland India. And you see there a sort of transition of culture between the two regions? Like even even in present time, if we, if we notice, then uh, uh, Spiti has its own identity. identity. I mean, uh, it, it, you know, the kind of uh, uh, dresses they wear, the ornaments they wear, culturally it's more influenced and uh, similar to Tibet and Ladakh. I mean, they share same affinities. 
uh, it doesn't, uh, I mean, they have their own language, although because they are part of India and Indian government, so they have all the schools and government administration uh, thing, everything is happening. They are merged in uh, mainstream India. They speak Hindi and uh, 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 the language of India. Uh, but culturally, they are like, you know, similar to Tibet, more influenced mm -hmm. to that area. Yeah. What role did the region play in terms of migration in the past and at present? Uh, if you talk about past, so uh, there are many evidence, archaeological evidences that uh, I have uh, came through during my research. Like if you talk about one, the little tools. So uh, as uh, the site is on the edge of uh, Tibet and Kinor, so uh, there is a possibility because uh, on, right, right now only one site has been discovered of that age. So, uh, so there is a possibility that uh, either they are coming from northern region like from Tibet and going southwards maybe or vice versa. Though I'm not sure because, because on the basis of one site you cannot actually make many theories. Uh, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's like just assumptions that maybe they are coming from, you know, some Ladakh or Tibet, maybe that area, and they are halting there for, you know, some time, and then they went somewhere. But where we don't know because because of lack of evidences right now. Secondly, uh, there are burials in the area, and because of uh, like similarities between the burials of uh, Himachal, Uttarakhand, uh, Tibet, Nepal. Uh, there are differences, but there are similarities also. So we can say there is some kind of migration or some kind of trade as was happening during that time because we have like quite similar, uh, you know, pottery beads and all these things. Third, if you talk about the rock art, so in rock art also we have like a lot of similar symbols or motifs made uh, in the area which is quite. Uh, uh, which can be related to Ladakh region, then, uh, uh, you know, Sakas of Sepe, Sepe region and all that. So because of all these evidences, like this uh, stone tools, burials and uh, rock art, so we can uh, say that, uh, you know, something was happening. People were traveling, of course. There, there are some kind of migration was happening because of the similarities that we are finding from other regions, like the adjacent region of Uttarakhand, Nepal and um, Tibet. So that, so that is the past. In present, um, uh, I uh, am not sure about migration. Like, uh, um, the, because uh, Spiti is a, a tourist hub right now uh, in the in India. So there are a lot of uh, tourists coming, and also I I don't know whether we can consider that in migration. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of people coming from other states to work over there as well. Uh, as uh, you know, labors and and you know, in the, in the help of construction and in agriculture activities, like city people are like dependent on outside labors for their apple orchards and other things. So this kind of migration is also happening in present day. And then there are a lot of students also which are going uh, going to other sorry to other places to study and oh. you know, so which is like quite similar scenario in all all states of it. Do you think that a lot of the migrations were people moving in one direction as large populations moved? Or do you think it was seasonal, for example, like people that were herding sheep and, and such animals? 
pastoral type agriculture? In past or in present? In the ancient past or in the recent past? Yeah, uh, there are many passes in speaking. Like one pass connected uh, to, uh, like Tarangla connects it to Ladakh. Then there is Pin Parvati, uh, which connects it to, uh, you know, the lower region Kulu. Then there is Pin Bhaba Pass, which is connects it to Kinor. And then there is, uh, uh, what is it, Korik Pass, Shipkila Pass, uh, sorry, Korik Pass, which connects it to Tibet. Hmm. Then there is Kunjumla, which connects it to uh, the other Lahore and uh, Manaki, Kulu area. So there are a lot of passes and uh, all these shepherd activities, uh, you know, still they are their practice. I and mean, there are a lot of shepherds in the area which, you know, uh, are traveling or migrating from one place to other uh, with their shepherds. Uh, in past also, if uh, we see the rock art in the area and the motifs in the area. So uh, like uh, in, uh, if you divide Spiti into two parts, that is upper Spiti, which is a high altitude and a lower Spiti, which is comparatively low altitude. So uh, in lower Spiti, we see a lot of petroglyphs. But we see hardly any petroglyph in uh, uh, upper uh, city. Oh. I mean, I won't say that there are no petroglyphs, there are, but in comparison to that, there are like only one or two percent. But and similar uh, cases about pictographs, like there are a lot of pictographs in the upper city valley, but there are uh, ha like very like two or three uh, sites in lower city valley of pictographs. So we can see that maybe they are two different uh, set of people uh, who are making pictographs and who are making petroglyphs. And they are not crossing this area. And it's apparently it's also uh, according to one study uh, geologically, like there was a lake uh, in around Mane region, which is like almost in the middle of upper and city, which kind of divide both of that region. So that, you know, might be a reason of uh, these two sets not crossing that area, which is just a uh, you know assumption. It's mm -hmm. it can be other way around as well. And then all these passes are uh, helping the uh, people uh, crossing into other regions, like you know uh, people uh, from uh, uh, you know from coming from north are uh, coming from Korik Pass from Tibet, and then there are people from Ladakh who are coming from Parangla Pass. So these kind of possibilities are there. So do you think it was an important crossroad throughout history for people crossing from different regions? Do you think they would have stopped there and there would have been an important region for people? Yes, by looking at the evidence, especially of, uh, yes, I believe so, that uh, it was uh, important. In fact, it worked as, uh, uh, you know, as a route mm -hmm. uh, to connect Ladakh and Tibet to each other and uh, other regions in the, if you talk about Kinor or Kulu, mm -hmm. so because it comes in the, it, it, it's because it's called middle land. So we can see that it's also playing that role to look to connect north to south. Was there a lot of trade in the region? I mean, a lot of time is in, even today, but particularly in history, when you get a crossroad between more than one trade route, the place where it crosses, you tend to get a lot of interesting trade goods appear there. I think simply because it's at the crossroads, people do a little bit of trading when they get to these places. Do we see evidence here of the same type of activity? Uh, 
yes 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 i agree with you uh, there uh, there are evidences like in banyals we have found beads mm. uh, they are shell beads uh, made of tarbunala pyrum and which are uh, which are sea shells usually oh, wow. and are not found on the mountains so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So there are evidence. <laughs> so these kind of evidences are not just limited to CD. Uh, they are also found in Kinnor mm. region also, which is like just uh, south of uh, uh, Line. And because of these evidences, we are kind of sure that they are having some kind of connection from the coastal region. And uh, according to one study by Arti Deshmukh, uh, she said that. Uh, they are having a trade connection from, uh, like uh, you know, from the uh, western side of uh, uh, India. Oh wow! Uh, ocean coastal side to, and they are connected to that region. Yes. For our listeners who aren't familiar with the geography of the area, how far would that be? Uh, like from uh, western coast to, I, I think it will be around. Uh, 1500 or 2000 kilometers I mean, oh. yeah, around that it's it's like a huge distance yeah. from himalayas to coastal region it's a huge distance yes and then to go up into the mountains as well that's that's even more of uh, energy to get up there yeah it means a lot of energy like i am born in himalayas but because i was born in the city so earlier i didn't get that opportunity to hike a lot but during my PhD, I, I was like, because I was working in a high altitude region. So initially it was like tough for me as well to, you know, walk around. And there's many moments that I was like, you know, I have climbed it, but I don't know how to get down. Mm-hmm. Funny incidents like this when I, I started crying and like, you know, I don't know how to get down. And then I was like crying for help, see somebody come and, you know, get me down. So initially these kind of incidents actually happened. <laughs> then somebody came and helped me. Are these routes and the passes, do they have paths where you could take like a pack animal through it? Or do you think they were going mainly by foot in some places? Uh, uh, like when I talk about these passes, so these all passes are accessible since ancient time. Uh, but they are very tough passes. Like, like right now, I was, once I was wandering to, you know, just for my research to cross Parangla, maybe, which connects with the Ladakh. But when I heard the stories, like it's a tough pass, like you, it's on around 5,500 meters, something mm-hmm. approximately like that. So, and it's like kind of a seven day journey. So you have to be really like physically and mentally tough to cross those things. So there are still shepherds who are, you know, crossing these passes with their herds. Wow. What are you currently working on now? So right now I'm working with the uh, Himalayan Institute of Culture and Heritage Studies and uh, mainly we are, uh, uh, you know, uh, curating courses on Himalayan historical, mm-hmm. cultural, archaeological aspects. And do, because of Corona, we are doing online workshops. But uh, now because things are looking uh, quite okay, so we are also trying to, maybe in a month or two, we are kind of open our uh, campus and you know doors for mm-hmm. people to come and we can have more intensive workshops uh, over here only so right now we are doing all the things only and we are teaching uh, these uh, small curated courses like three day course seven day course ten day course like that plus i'm also working on a couple of papers for uh, uh, like uh, journals and uh, from my theory like research based on my thesis only so maybe uh, this year 
will be having towards new papers. I'm like, I'm quite hopeful for that. <laughs> so uh, today only I just got the reviews for my one of my papers. So I'm like working on that as well. So you're doing a lot of work on science communication and working with local populations about local heritage. Yeah, yeah, we are doing some, you know, interviews and, uh, you know, we go through uh, uh, many places and look around about the cultural aspect. And the courses are actually made for, uh, of course, local are invited, uh, but they are, we are trying to make, uh, you know, break that thing that only academicians or students can learn about uh, history and archaeology. Uh, we are making that pass. So that even non-academician people can also who are interested but due to some reason they couldn't continue that uh, study so they can through our courses they can uh, you know join and know more about Himalayan uh, culture and history and archaeology. What's the typical age range of the people that are interested in these courses? Uh, well you'll be surprised to know that they are no age bar kind of thing like we have students from uh, you know 21 22 and then we have students from 70 years also oh, so they're all kind of people who are interested you know but because yeah but because of you know their work and other things they couldn't uh, you know keep up with it but now they have this opportunity like right at their home they can learn something about that so so they are, so we have students like that and it's it's like more we had like more interactive session because of that because we have many age groups and they have their own ideas own perspectives which makes it more interesting to talk what does your research involve what are your typical methods uh mainly it was exploration based uh like i did a lot of survey in the like village to village survey and then which involves a lot of interviews and then of course there is a, a literature like I've studied a lot of literature, like the people who have worked in the past in that region, especially the Britisher account and all that. And then, uh, then we have a lot of people who are helping us um, locally. Who like if they find like we like today, I go and talk to them people, and uh, you know, kind of I generate that awareness uh, that you know, if you find these kind of things, then just let us know. So and that actually helped. Because uh, while, you know, road cutting or construction happening for their terrace farming or house construction, if they found any evidence, like if they, uh, in, during a road cutting, they found bones. So they just called up and, you know, informed us. So like, uh, hey, we have found this bones. Can you just come up and tell what it is and everything? So like this, we have like a lot of evidences were, you know, found due to this construction work going on in Sleepy Valley. Are there any differences in research methods in this region than in others? For example, because of the altitude or the arid environment or other environmental or cultural conditions? Uh, like Spiti Valley is snow, uh, is like full of snow during winters. So it's uh, not accessible during that time. Like you can access Spiti Valley from April till October. This is the only time period when you can do your surveys and, you know, uh, you can go and explore the area. Otherwise, rest of the months are like, you know, all white, all snow. You can't even access that area. Oh, so wow. even if you can, if, uh, you can uh, enter into the area, but because of the snow, you cannot explore anything. So it's of no use anyway. So right. it's like that. So and plus it's uh, it's quite cold. And in, uh, in summers also, because it's a high altitude region, 
so the afternoons are like really hot and burning but the nights and mornings are really cold so the temperature is like you know flip flipping on and off kind of thing so you have to be like really cautious and then of course there are huge mountains that you have to cross so somewhere there are pathways but some sometimes they are not so you have to be really cautious while you know traversing on these uh, 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 like remote regions in spiti valley itself does the altitude make a difference i've been in mountainous areas a few times and i think you get tired faster not because yes. of the extra work but because there's slightly less oxygen because mm. of the oxygen yeah 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 oxygen level it it it's not a problem because i remember when i went there for the first time and we are going uh, to look for a site uh, it's a pictograph site and it, the altitude was like more than 4000 of that site mm-hmm. so i i was like okay i will do it what's the problem but when i started walking after a while all my fingers were like swollen up i couldn't breathe properly and mm-hmm. i was having this headache and i'm like i i give up i can't do this time i mean today i cannot walk it like that so i mean there are moments like that when you actually you are in the verge of giving up that no i cannot do it anymore and you have this huge headache because of the low oxygen rate and there are plus there are no paths you have to find your own your just have to go up 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 up, up. and sometimes you end up like oh no there is nothing only the edge So these are the things that have have happened a lot of times. So you have to have a local with you. How do you do when you have like a, you get a headache or this from the altitude? How do you deal with it? Yeah, usually I come back uh, to my rest place wherever I'm mm. resting, like having my abode, and I just drink a lot of water and take proper sleep. That's the only thing there because I am that kind of person who don't. uh involve myself in taking a lot of popping up medicines so mm-hmm. i try to cure it in in the local method so i think so i eat properly i take like proper rest sleep and lots and lots of water because water can actually cure your headache and then plus exercises is like very necessary so i do all the yogas and everything to keep myself fit for the region okay what fraction of the sites in the area do you think are represented by the sites which have already been found like what ratio have been found versus not yet found i think speedy has lot of potential and not much have been discovered yet like in the context of rock art lot of sites have been discovered like there are more than 20 22 sites but when we talk about lithids and burials so i think uh it has lot of potential i mean we need to survey more thoroughly and we need to go off beat to find more and discover like to discover more sites so uh like if you talk about percentage so i think only 10 to 20 percent have been found yet and there like we need to discover more of that base we need to explore more and survey more in that area why haven't there been found more sites until now uh because there are hardly any people who are working on archaeological aspect in that area we need people we need scholars to you know come up with projects or maybe phds and uh, to you know join hands and then do this so it's kind of because because of the location also because of the high altitude and you know it's geographical condition and it's a rough terrain after all so not many people are you know taking up that challenge so i think 
uh, we need that kind of scholars who right. just come up and you know start that survey. Only one person or two or ten person are not enough. We need more people in Himalayas. You're really expanding it by doing a PhD thesis on it and publishing on it. So I think it's one of those things that really helps to gain attention and then other people can say, well, yeah, that, that sounds very interesting. You might gain other people to work in the area. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so there are people who are working uh, in Spiti Valley, but it's more of, you know, uh, uh, like I've met many scholars who are working on art history. There are a lot of people who are working in these, uh, you know, so, uh, social anthropology and these kind of, I've met a lot of scholars, but there are handy scholars who are looking, uh, you know, beyond that, you know, the past, the archaeological aspect. So we need more archaeology in that area. <laughs> and plus these scholars also help us because, you know, archaeology is that kind of uh, subject where multidisciplinary uh, subjects are needed to look beyond just one perspective. So they help us, uh, but then I think we need more archaeologists in the area. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you faced in your research? One is the terrain, <laughs> geography. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As I, I like to mention it before, <laughs> like I, like physically, I need to be like really up on my toes. I mean, I have to be like really fed to be in that area. Otherwise, you won't be able to survive much in that area because uh, we are not, uh, we don't belong to that region, like high altitude, we belong to low altitude. So it's kind it takes us days to acclimatize into that area. So while, uh, you know, while traveling also, we uh, we take breaks in a, like if we, I start from Dehradun or Shirinagar, which is a like uh, 200 or 500, 700 MSL. And uh, that speed is at 3000 MSL. So we, we take stop. Like we stop for a day in Shimla, which is 2,000 MSL. Then uh, next day we take stop at another, and then we reach Spiti. So that helps in acclimatizing, uh, like physically. So this is there. Plus, uh, sometimes language is also a barrier because uh, the old generation, they don't speak Hindi nor they speak English. So, so we need uh, someone to interpret their uh, ideas or what they saw in their, during their time these kind of things. So they were like these kind of challenges uh, where we need help. Have you learned some of the local language? Yeah, like when I was staying uh, with, uh, with the family, so I tried to learn a couple of uh, like, like, how are you? Uh, what are you doing? Where are you going? So this initial sentences, I even tried to visit like uh, for, for like a couple of days, I even started learning Tibetan so that I can understand the manuscripts and everything. But unfortunately, I couldn't continue it. Though I have that plan in my mind that maybe soon I'll start that again and mm -hmm. learn it you know, more efficiently. You talked about the rock art. What are some of the typical characteristics of the rock art in this area? How is it similar and different from rock art in adjacent regions? Uh, in Spiti, as I said, there are like around 20 to 22 sites, uh, which is a blend of petroglyphs and uh, pictographs, and plus there are Kapmark also in that region. Uh, they are, uh, uh, if I compare it with Ladakh or Tibet, so there are uh, many similarities, uh, but uh, there are differences. Like if we talk about wildlife, so we see a lot of blue sheeps. Uh, 
blue sheep uh, on the petroglyphs and uh, like in ladakh we see uh, the percentage is more of ibex Oh. and if we see that wildlife in the area so in actual like in reality also there are more blue sheep in the area in city valley than ibex mm. and if we see that percentage in, in the petroglyphs uh, it is actually uh, you know uh, reflected in, in in petroglyphs also like if i like i've done kind of counting of that blue sheep and made a percentage chart so there are more blue sheep and then comes uh, the uh, ibex and then come other animals and they are like animals like bacterium camel there example of bacterium camel which is not found in the region but it is found in nubra region in uh, ladakh and then there are donkeys dogs and all these kind of animals and horses also are depicted deer tiger leopard these kind of animals are also depicted but in lower ratio the most uh, percentage is high percentage are of uh, blue sheep so we can see these uh, these kind of things uh contradictly in uh, ladakh we have more ibex and then followed by other animals mm-hmm. style like uh, other characteristic like uh, we have a lot of petroglyphs so pictographs in the uh, this region upper spiti region uh and it's not found in other region like in other adjacent region uh, in, i i i haven't heard any uh, i don't know if i have updated or not but i haven't heard any uh, pictograph site in ladakh so these kind of things and there are no uh, rock art site in uh, in kinnor so spiti is the only region where we have uh, uh, this uh, rock art so uh, yeah and uh, if we talk about uh, chronology of this area like i have adopted uh, uh, the time scale given by lorian bruno who has worked in ladakh region so we found many similar kind of uh, 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 you know motifs but in a uh, it uh, in less number like there are maskoids and there are uh, you know hand prints and all these things which are considered very ancient uh, but we have very less number of that in comparison to ladakh and then uh, in in ladakh we have the the designs of the motifs are made in a very fine way but in uh, spiti they are in a little crude manner they are not as fine or life like uh, in their form in spiti so so they are like uh, many similarities yet many differences in the regions approximately what age are the rock art sites so uh, the rock art will uh, will uh, like if we see maskoids and handprints which we considered the ancient like the most ancient so from bronze age i am i'm following the time scale of given by lorian bruno so uh, from uh, bronze age till historical period so there is a huge time span and there are like lot of motifs uh, you know superimposed on each other and all that so which makes it and then we in historical period we also have this uh, you know bond symbols as well like pre pre buddhist era so these kind of many many uh, time periods can be seen in that rock art iron age uh, pre born religion uh, born uh, motifs and then historical also like we have to within scriptures like om mani padme hum this kind of uh, scripts are like we can found so these are all historical and then we have stupas of different time periods so these kind of historical things are also so there is a long time span of rock art that can be seen
That's interesting that it has such a large time span, but also that it's geographically specific to one part of the valley. Yes, which is like, why? There must be some other places, but we need to look for more. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Do the burials that you found seem to be linked to particular settlements? Well, uh, if you talk about settlements, then we don't, we haven't found any habitation settlement, neither in the city nor in Kinnor. All we found is burials. Oh, so it's really hard to say that uh, whether they are, where are the settlements? I mean, we, we, something is missing and we need to find that missing gap. So all we have is burials with burial goods inside it. And uh, right now they are, they are found in, like, in, in, in the tribute, like we have, like Spiti is the main river that is going all over the city, but there are many tributaries like Pen, Linki, and we are finding those burials in that, in that valleys as well, mm. you know, and then in Kinor, and then we have in Uttarakhand, and in Nepal, and in Tibet, so and all these uh, burials have many similarities with each other, yet they have many differences. So because of lack of any habitational site, it's really tough to say like what's going on. Hmm, interesting. Do the grave goods seem to have been used or do you think that they were produced specifically for the burials? Uh, I think they are produced in some, in some, I think they are produced specifically for that, for burial purpose only because they are like, like if we have pot uh, or a vast, it, it's in a very small size. Hmm. Uh, I can't. I won't say in miniature, but but in a small size, like in a like a size of my hand, that kind of. But hmm. there are many burials in which we have found a huge, uh, you know, uh, pot, hmm. and then there are iron vases also. So it can be a mixture of both. Hmm. Do you think some of them were they were pastoral people, and maybe they didn't have settlements, but they knew where were some burial locations? Or does it seem like there are big burial areas with a lot of people? Uh, no, we haven't found that thing like big burials. Yeah, in Kinnor, like uh, we have covered one side where there are a lot of people who are buried in one place. But in Spiti, we haven't found that. And plus, uh, in, uh, like in Kinnor, we have found precious stones and uh, in fact, gold as well. But in Spiti, we haven't found these kind of things. Uh, but we have uh, in Spiti we have shell beads and uh, you know uh, copper and uh, uh, copper vases uh, and all these things. So uh, I, I think they are kind of migratory people, but they settle there for for a while maybe. That that can uh, be can be a possibility. Are there a lot of individual burials, or does it seem like a cemetery? No, no, uh, like right now, what we have discovered in Spiti, it's more of individual burials. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. What can we tell about people's ideas of the afterlife based on the burials? I, I think uh, they, they believe, of course, they believe in afterlife. That's why they have kept the pots and the vases. And in one case, uh, they have also put a cattle. Hmm. Uh, you know, there were remains of cattle was also found. So maybe that idea of you know carrying uh, things from uh, that you know carrying things for the journey of life after death. So there is this this idea can be seen in those burials because of the these kind of things that were put along with them with the 
person and plus they have a lot of uh, like in uh, ct we have uh, yes yes uh, sorry i i should have mentioned this in ct like at one side we have found two skeletons uh, you know at at one one uh, burial and both mm -hmm. are and that is of uh, they are like two children juveniles mm -hmm. this is a very interesting discovery that we have found like two children buried together in one burial along with lot of lot of pottery like seven seven ceramic samples found uh, with them in different size and different shapes so it looks like they died at the same time maybe that is a possibility yeah although i have we haven't done the pathological studies we want to do that further hmm. and take that further to know how they have died but uh, according to other studies uh, they they are like they are juvenile definitely what is the most interesting thing that you've discovered or learned through your research in the speedy valley uh, uh of course this finding this juvenile burials is kind of really interesting for me and then they are they are not limited to juveniles we have uh, like uh, we have we have analyzed four skeletons and they belong to different set of age group like one is from 20 to 25 other is from 25 to 30 then then there are two juveniles so that makes it quite interesting along with the stone tools i it's it makes it like one of the earliest type in himalayas that have been discovered uh, you know archaeologically and then rock art of course so there are many interesting things were uh, happened and which also like i also learned that there is lot of potential in that area and uh, which we should you know look further and you know explore more to find more what are your plans for the future uh i i my plans are for teaching and research and i would like to research more on uh, himalayan region and specifically to uh, uttarakhand and himachal and if i get the opportunity then i'll also extend my you know i'll maybe i'll create uh, curate more projects on speedy valley and other high altitude uh, region to you know kind of connect that missing link between all these places in the himalayan region what advice would you give to people who want to do research in the himalayas please be physically fit <laughs> that is the most important thing to work in himalayas because like in other places you can adjust you can uh, you know uh, you can read and you can explore but uh, in in like places like spiti or in high altitude region you first thing you have to be physically fit to survive in that area because if you are not physically fit it will be difficult for you to survive and to stay there and for longer periods and right. to explore and that's because you have to climb lot of mountains all the time like daily you don't know how many kilometers you have to up hill or down hill so for that uh, i think physical fitness matters most well thanks for taking the time today to tell us about your work it's very interesting i look forward to seeing how it progresses uh, thank you so much and it was very really interesting to talk to you oh yeah you too have a nice day same to you thank you You've been listening to the Archeo Cafe podcast. For more information and news, check out our website or social media pages. Links can be found in the episode notes or simply by searching online for Archeo Cafe podcast. If you have any questions or comments for the presenters or guest speakers, we'd love to hear from you. 
Until next time, I'll leave you with this quote from Jonathan O. Davis. To find old sites, you must look in old dirt.